This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Lended Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lended Fintech, joined as always by uh, my good friend and colleague, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? Um, well, Peter, how are you? I'm doing great. And also joining us again is Kabir Kumar. How are you doing, Kabir? Great. Great to see both of you. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Uh, why don't you just give us a, uh, just a, a little bit of just a little bit of background of what you do, like 20 seconds? Um, with Flourish, we are a venture capital firm that backs entrepreneurs with purpose, and I'm based in uh, the DC area. And um, you know, invested in Alloy, Hummingbird, and in broader B2B infrastructure fintech space. All right. Well, thank you for that. Well, let's get right into it, and uh, let's talk about. We're going to start off talking about um, the SEC, and this was an interesting story that um, came out earlier this week, where um, there was whole thing or in there was a big thing in um the financial times um talking about just the new rules that um uh the sec has sort of they've created these new rules for exchanges didn't really mention crypto but it looks like it's targeted at crypto um it's a pretty interesting kind of uh move and um you know it, it makes it seem like i mean there's you know, they, they want to make, they want to sort of protect the investor. I don't know how many investors are actually going to the SEC asking to be protected um, from crypto, from crypto trading. But anyway, the SEC, it looks like they're, they're trying to make some moves here. What do you guys think? I, I still, I'm a little uh, befuddled. Why, I don't know why they don't just call crypto out and say, right. you know, this is for, you know, crypto exchanges or, you know, this is a step in the way, a step in the direction of more investor protections. And, you know, we want to start to to get a sense on how these exchanges are working and, and what other potential, um, you know, safeguards that need to put in place that people don't lose their life savings. Instead, they're like, well, here's we're just broadening the definition of what an exchange is and communication protocols and what a buyer and seller and agree to a price. It's like. You're calling it out without calling it out, uh, which I think was was kind of silly. And it's almost 700 pages, I think, the um, what they put out. And that they don't actually mention crypto, which is kind of hard to do in 700 pages if you're talking right. about exchanges. But um, no, I think the, 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 the reaction from the crypto industry told you a lot in that you know, there's a lot of fear um, in the space, uh, at least in, in some uh, corners of it that this is you know completely directed at them and even if they're not saying it and so i think it would be um you know it would be more significantly more beneficial if they were just to say let's get a sense for how these crypto exchanges work and you know we don't want to kill them but we want to see what safeguards are missing yeah i think part of part of what this is is that you know to understand how rule making happens and how regulations come into play. I think this, if I'm not mistaken, actually goes back a few years. This is a 2020, if not earlier, sort of process to bring in all of these platforms that trade treasuries, 
you know, what is this $23 trillion treasuries market under the purview of the SEC. So this has been in the works for a couple of years. Mm. But they've sort of taken this moment to potentially use this rulemaking process to expand the definition of exchanges, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and, and that's what got people nervous. And in fact, it started with the one Republican commissioner voting against it. Um, I forget her name. I think she's affectionately known as Crypto Mom. If I'm not yeah. Hester. Hester. Hester, exactly. Yep. And I think she, she, you know, was the one who sort of said, I'm not sure about this because it might expand our purview and we haven't figured out what that means. And, and so I think that's what's got people nervous. Um, I think it just speaks to the broader issue of trust right now, right? I think there is this, I think that's what you were getting at, Todd, is that mm-hmm. can we, we, are, we are kind of firing lots of shots. Gary Gensler is saying a lot of things. And, but we're not systematically taking action, it seems. And then we're leaving a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of nervousness around it. And so I suspect this is not really going to matter for the crypto world. This is my guess. I could be wrong. Don't, you know, don't jump at me. But I think it speaks to the broader trust. Issue, right, you know, and and that's what makes it interesting. Well, and we should, we should. Of, oh, sorry. I was, you, was going to say is most of what the crypto industry wants is just clear definitions. Yeah, it yeah. seems as if like you know the things they get so worked up about is that there's like this you know dancing around the edges and kind of all right. Well, we want yeah. or we want to kind of oversee this, but hey, let's not get too. It's like tell us what we what box we need to work within and we'll innovate in that's inside that box and hopefully we can expand that box in the future but you know tell us the rules yeah, yeah. and less threats more action right if there's yeah. a lot of threatening there's a problem there well okay what what is the problem let's solve it yeah and i think this is a broader issue with regulation and especially in this country where clearly we want industry to do well you know so let's try and sort this out Right. Later. We have to put a comment here. I'm going to show the comment from uh, from Bo Hester Purse for president. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. She's uh, she is she is one of our supporters of the supporters certainly in uh, inside the SEC. But we um, just we should just before we move on, just we should be clear: these are proposed new rules. These are yep. not new rules. Exactly. Um, there's exactly. a 30 day comment period, and uh, so we'll we'll see. We'll be following what actually comes of this anyway moving on um really good article by uh, penny crossman this week in american banker about um silvergate and they, they they've bought the you know they, they've bought the assets of uh, um diem um and now have uh, have a whole bunch of um intellectual property surrounding stable coins and their goal is to um you know to issue a new new digital currency new stable coin by the end of the year um that's what the you know the government wants banks to be the ones issuing stable coins so we've also got the, the um, move from figure as well there um they're always, they've got a consortium issuing stable coins but um yeah, Silver Lake. It's uh, it's in, Silver Gate, I should say. It's not Silver Lake, um, but um, anyway, they are you know they're going to be jumping into the game. We, so the Facebook's Libra that was started off many years ago is still not completely dead. Yeah, 
You know, they uh, they approached us, you know, at, at Flourish. You know, we're back by Piero Midiar, founder yeah. eBay, and they wanted us to be sort of part of this. This is the Facebook Libra team. And, you know, I, I struggled to get excited because they wanted us to start, you know, sign an NDA to tell us how it could help financial inclusion. You know, so I was, I was struggling with that logic. Right. Uh, and so I think, and they've, Facebook meta has been historically very tone deaf, right. About all of these things. I think there are a lot of stories about their missteps with regulators. And, and I think the fact that we had that white house, right. Um, Stablecoin paper that said that stablecoins would be issued by banks. Right. Set has set a direction. I think right. I think the article mentions that dialogue with the Fed was just going nowhere. And so they're selling it to they've sold it to Silvergate. They're winding down the association. I think on the Silvergate side, it's kind of exciting yeah. because they have the Silvergate Exchange Network already, SEN. You know, I don't know if you know about this. So, you know, you have like um Coinbase, Gemini, um, uh, a few of the other platforms that are already on this network. Uh, and they have sort of business accounts with Silvergate and they're able to move money on this network through their business accounts. Mm-hmm. So they're already in this game, in so, so to speak. And so if they could potentially leverage this technology for, as they are claiming, across these other platforms, I think they mentioned Uber, Lyft, so on. Mm-hmm. For the movement of money that's super exciting and if you remember in the libra white paper there was some interesting notions around identity management right, right. and so i'm excited to see how that translates into the mm-hmm. silvergate world um and and what that means so so the technology lives but the botched execution <laughs> we, we're not going to let facebook off the hook on the box botched execution right right no and and yeah the beginning, it was all about financial inclusion. That's sort of what Mark Zuckerberg was saying. That was exactly. going to be the big and managing identity. And yeah. Peter, was I was in too? India. I was in India. Sorry, Todd, just one. No, quick. go for it. I was in India when the Facebook Mark Zuckerberg wanted to bring Facebook Zero to the emerging markets. You know, you remember Facebook Zero? Facebook Zero was like cheap, zero cost internet access, but you right. start with with Facebook. You know, right. and it was again very tone deaf because it wasn't like AOL. Yeah, it, it was, was like but it wasn't the internet. It was Facebook, you know, and like they were like, we are bringing the internet to the masses, you know, and everyone right. was like, no, you're bringing Facebook to the masses. You know, that's <laughs> not the internet. And I feel right. like that, that was the same kind of approach to Libra where instead of leading with the technology, they led with this sort of half-baked notions about inclusion and sort of the force for change when in fact the technology itself was exciting. And, that could have been a big story in the industry. So, right. I was just going to say, I think that <clears throat> the two most interesting things in the the piece, at least for me, outside of what you've already mentioned, was um, you know them saying that they're going to bring or they're hoping to bring um, you know this new digital currency to the masses. So, uh, obviously, um, a step to um, continue to push crypto into the mainstream. And then I thought this quote, the, they're looking to get outside the credit realm and outside the specific ACH rails and just use a tokenized dollar on the internet. Yeah. I mean, when would you ever think a bank CEO would say that? 
I mean, I think that's a, it, it's fascinating to hear from someone and Silvergate's been known as, as more of a forward thinking bank. And I've talked to a few of the um, execs over there um, over the last couple of years. And, um, but just hearing that from a, um, a bank CEO, it's, you know, that type of stuff is, is what exciting. makes you excited. Right. Um, and what regulators really should be encouraging within the banking system, within the, uh, banking community here's a bank to to set some sort of a vision yeah anyway we got to move on so talking about uh article in financial brand about chase why chase's technology can compete with and outperform fintechs now um there was there, there was talk of Ch on about chase uh, when they announced um in their earnings call how much money they're spending but they 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 claim that startups are at, a, are at an inherent disadvantage and sure Chase, they said they have 58 million um, digital accounts. So they are the largest digital bank in the country. Um, but, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I would not agree, I don't think, with the premise that uh, I mean, the startups are at um, – they, they obviously have some negatives, but I think they certainly have a lot of, a lot of advantages that Chase doesn't have. Yeah. I think, you know, you have to remember – an organization of that size is, is of that size is effectively very bureaucratic. Right. I mean, the culture of change is very, very hard. And there was this moment right in the pandemic. If you remember all those Italian, this is 2020, in the sort of the beginnings of the pandemic, when all those Italian banks had to just go online overnight, right, just over the weekend, and it felt like this would push globally the banking industry to become far more aggressive on digital. And it has, it has had some impact. But it hasn't been that that extraordinary as we all right. thought it would be. And it's partly because they are large traditional organizations where that culture of change is not very hard. Look at how Goldman pursued markets and how they went about it. Tells you a lot about it. So I'm I'm you know, I, I think that's just a silly remark in some <laughs> ways, because you know, he's basically saying in that article that, oh, we have a lot of customers. So if we launch something, it means a lot. And so fine. But the fact is you struggle to launch things and that's what mm -hmm. you should be asking why. And, um, you know, and I think that starts with changing the culture. I think at the same time, I like some of the other things Chase is doing, you know, they're supporters of the financial solutions lab, for instance. And I think they've built a little sort of, you know, venture uh, space within the bank to try and push into new ideas. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. Uh, they should do more of it. They should back that team more frankly, because I think that's going to be a big part of the impact on the future. Right. I actually thought in reading the article that they, the, the bankers that they interviewed it actually slipped up a bit because <laughs> in one of the quotes, he says, when the bank gets it right, <laughs> the impact is, is extraordinary. extraordinary. But when does the bank get it right? <laughs> I think that's the key. Cause yes, while technically they would, um, you know, millions of people or millions of customers, millions of businesses can be impacted. The banks rarely swing and get it right, right away. Fintechs are a lot more quick to say, all right, you know, plan A didn't work. We'll go to plan B and C, which are already kind of in motion or the bank goes, all right, plan A didn't work. Okay. 18 months, we'll have plan B ready to go. Uh, and so I thought that was, it was kind of interesting yeah. to read the article and, and see that that subtle when they get it right. Yeah, and, 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 you know, there's a great example of that. I, I don't know if both yeah. of you are ready for this drum roll. Overdraft, 
you know, I think the change in the banking industry on overdraft <laughs> yep. is not, it wasn't internally driven, right? It comes no from way. competition. It comes from the policy push. And it was a no-brainer for customers. This was like the thing that could make a huge difference for customers. But they didn't go for it, right, until these pressures emerged. Yeah. So I think that sums up a lot about yep. how these banks will innovate. Yeah. I'm, I know you guys wanted to avoid mentioning overdraft, but maybe. Oh, no, that's all right. We, have, that is, we, we love overdrafts. We keep our streak going now. Now we, we keep, keep our streak exactly. Keep our streak going. Okay, uh, let's move on to big funding rounds. We had um, Sequoia leading a $450 million investment into Polygon. It's a, it's a layer two blockchain network. Um, that I actually I've used personally and I really like. I think it's I think it's I think it's excellent. And um, they are now uh, you know a unicorn several times over and are you know very much poised to uh, to do very well in uh, you know in the future of DeFi decentralized finance, which is where Polygon really is positioned. Yeah. Just a quick clear: it is actually Sequoia Capital India. India. Ah, Sequoia Capital India. Thank you. Uh, just quick clarification. Yeah, but, yeah Indi- I mean, Indian. I think it's an Indian firm, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yes. run by Indians anyway. Um, yes. Yeah. This One is the. the yeah. This is the next uh, iteration on, you know, blockchain yeah. and uh, Ethereum, which is layer two. And you see it there. It goes from you know what is it like ten or fifteen transactions a second to you know I think they mentioned in the article thousands. I'm sure it's depending on the. Uh, the network, it could be, you know, 17, 1800, 2000, whatever it might be, but it's significantly faster when you take it off the um, Ethereum network and go to layer two and proof of stake. So, um, you know, it's, I still find it fascinating that with all the uncertainty in, you know, the regulatory aspect of it, there's just no slowdown in the amount of capital that are going into the crypto companies, even as fintech has, has kind of come back to earth a little bit. Um, the crypto companies are just getting flooded with money and, and in part because there's just a lot to do. Yeah. You know, they're 15 transactions a second. I mean, Visa and MasterCard are what? Uh, I think MasterCard, we found that last week on an, in an article we did, 25,000. Uh, Visa is like 15,000 um, per second. So they have a, that's a big gap. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a lot of money uh, to fill that gap um, to, to yeah. get where those companies are. Yeah, I think it's super exciting. I think Polygon is very exciting. I think these are all part of what is happening in the space as we wait for Ethereum 2.0. <laughs> you know, and so you have Polygon, you have Solana on the other side with uh, proof of history. I think it's interesting all the people involved in this round. So you mentioned led by Sequoia Capital India, but Kevin O'Leary also participated in this round. Alexis mm-hmm. Ohanian also participated in this round. I think it says a lot about sort of the kinds of actors that are excited about this. There is a bit of controversy, right? I think there's a sort of the traditional diehards who are always not happy about the way these kinds of systems raise money, right? So this was a private token sale. It drove the price of Matic up by 16%, but it was a private token sale. And I think that's been part of the concern that the VC folks are ultimately owning what was supposed to be this decentralized right. infrastructure, right. which is kind of interesting. But the yeah, most a exciting thing is a battle. That's a, yeah, that's a battle. And that's a, there's some, you know, Solana Rays also had this kind of controversy around it. I think 
what I like about uh, Polygon, actually, I don't know if this is widely known, is that, I mean, they've been doing lots of interesting things technologically, but this whole thing about zero knowledge architecture and the, the ability to validate transactions on the chain without actually seeing them, mm-hmm. right, effectively. And so that, that is, that's kind of gearbox future of DeFi that has huge implications for the front-end innovations that would emerge. And I think that's super exciting about these guys. I think there are not a lot of zero-knowledge plays right now that are that technologically exciting. So I right. think it's worth watching these guys for that. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um, okay, let's move on to this. is a, This is a topic that um, we were in Miami for our our Deal Makers Summit earlier this week, and a lot of people were talking about this. Um, the um, advocacy groups um, um, wrote a letter to the FDIC, OCC, CFPB, calling on them to ban high interest rate fintech loans, as they call them, and the whole rent-a-bank um, scheme. And it went into great detail, named six rogue banks, actually put them, named them, named the companies that were they were, they were partnering with and, uh, you know, called them out for excessively high fees. And, um, you know, they, 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 they take issue with the whole bank fintech partnership model as well. And it, I feel like it's just one of those things where, okay, it's like, let's... <laughs> Okay, you can you you can ban them. That's the, that's you know legislation can be passed and that can and this can all this can all be um, changed. But then, what do you do for the consumers who are looking for capital, looking for credit, and not that that, that demand is not going away? It's only going to be worse for them. They're going through the banking system right now. What are they going to do if their banking system is no longer available to them? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that. Uh, I think we were talking about this earlier before we got went live. This there's this whole push to try and draw a distinction between what is not working well in the fintech space or the, the sort of quote unquote bad actors and what's working really well in the fintech space. And I was mentioning that there are uh, new associations that have formed. One of them actually very explicitly talks about high interest rate, mm-hmm. you know, fintech, and then sort of saying we don't support that and we are fintechs that have come together that don't support that kind of lending and we don't like that kind of lending. And so there is this attempt that's taking place. But this is a an issue that's been going on for a number of years. I think there's right now with, with you know, Rohit Chopra at the CFPB, with the changes taking place at the FDIC, I think there is sort of a new chapter opening on this front, especially on the banking as a service banks and whether this is on flimsy grounds from a regulatory perspective, does it does it need to be looked at more closely? The renter charter phrasing is an OCC phrase, if I'm not mistaken, from 2016. Right. You know, and so um, it'll be interesting where it lands. There will be some scrutiny of the space. We've all been anticipating the scrutiny of the banking as a service space much yep. more. Uh, but I do think I support the distinction between sort of lending that is excessive and price gouging and lending that is done thoughtfully in the consumer's interest. And I think we should draw that in. It's distinct. I know, Peter, you were saying it's not that black and white, but I feel some attempts to draw that distinction is powerful. Mm-hmm. You guys described it as well as it could be described. In some ways, it does feel like this is like a never-ending. It's like, you know, this is like the, the extension of the whole Madden argument, which was settled and not settled and rent the bank. And it feels like this is like the never ending 
um, argument in fintech, especially the lending space, which we've you know obviously grown uh, our event through, and obviously we've we've moved beyond the lending space into other areas of fintech. But it just feels like this this it's argument continuous. or this is just continuous for many many years. Yeah, I, I have I have very strong feelings about this, and I, I we're, we're not going to um, I'm not going to we're not going to continue. I could talk about this for another three hours. <laughs> Um, well, uh, I, let me say one more thing. I think the banking, it's been hugely impactful. I think fintech growth has been driven because of banking as a service approach. And even as the regulators try to, you know, sort of say, hey, this is rent a charter. What are the connect, you know, connection issues? Who's responsible? Industry is becoming better at managing the risk, better at figuring out who's responsible. There's been so many solutions that have emerged. It's not staying static. And I think right. that's worth I think I don't, and this is something the regulators don't always know and fully understand that industry is also trying to de-risk models. Industry is also trying to improve these things. It's not just coming from external pressure from regulators. Right, right. I felt like I had to say that. I don't know if that helped anyway. This conversation. Yeah, that's that's okay. So anyway, <laughs> let's um let's move on. I want to talk about Drive Wealth because they were in the news, and this was really interesting. I had the CEO Bob Courtright on my podcast just a month ago, or less than a month ago. And um, he, he, he sort of he hinted this was coming, um, that uh, they're basically, you know, Drive Wealth has been all about equity trading for U.S. equities. Anywhere, any fintech anywhere in the world can, um, can, you know, basically connect with Drive Wealth and start offering fractional shares of U.S. equities. And they've done really well out of that. Now they're, 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 ta they're tackling crypto. And, you know, he talks about how, you know, these 200 basis points of fees, you have to charge a Coinbase or more. Um, that's just not sustainable. And I, I agree with him. It's not, it's not sustainable. And he's coming in saying, right, we're going to do it. We're going to do it better. We're going to do it cheaper. And, um, you know, I, Drive Wealth have done very well. They've, they've got a lot of capital. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's not many fintechs today offering crypto trading. And there's some. Everyone is going to be offering it eventually. Every bank will be offering it. So DriveWell's well positioned, I think. Yeah. And, and uh, many other platforms will be offering it. I think the article talks about e-commerce platforms and the you yep. know, potential of couponing and uh, reward systems around, around crypto and enabling all of that. I think that's very exciting. And I agree with you. The white labeling of crypto investing seems to be a new frontier where we might see a range of players. And I think DriveWell is very much more sophisticated, very well positioned to do that. I think I mentioned uh, before we got started, Betterment acquiring Makara is also an interesting related story here mm -hmm. uh, because that the, the Makara has been this sort of um, sort of interface getting novice crypto investing folks into the space. And so now, you know, Betterment will be kind of leveraging the, 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 sort of solution i think they're going to keep the brand i think that's also another interesting related dimension here and right um so yeah to your point todd you know despite all the regulatory uncertainty the all these elements both the sort of infrastructure elements as well as the sort of expanding access to crypto just continues and yeah just like in equity trading you know fees came down with more competition and you know, yeah. fintechs helped drive those down now those fintechs jumping into crypto trading will help to you know drive down the cost of of trading there and you know it'll be maybe it's 200 basis points on um coinbase today maybe that drops you know precipitously in the next couple of years who knows where that goes yep. and how quick but 
this is kind of the natural evolution. It went from equity trading. Now it's going into crypto trade. Right. Yeah. Okay. We have just a couple of, a couple of comments here from viewers. Jay Nelson, we appreciate you as well. Thank you very much for, <laughs> for uh, watching. And then we got one for another one from our good friend, Bo Bruskern talking about, I think that was where we, we were, uh, the rent <laughs> thing, just talking about, <laughs> you know, Let's let's uh, welcome the competition and get back to work. I couldn't agree more. So uh, let's our last story. I want to just touch on another big funding round. Go cardless. Um, uh, that's a UK-based uh, payments payment system. Is um, they raised three hundred twelve million at a two point one billion dollar valuation. Some big names there, and uh, they're going to um, really beef up their open banking offerings, it looks like. It's interesting. Polygon is $2 billion too, right? They ended up being valued at $2 billion too. Am I making that up? Because it's kind of interesting that you have Polygon, which is infrastructure in the DeFi world. Right. Go Cardless, which is infrastructure in the TradFi world. Yep. You know, are both valued at $2 billion in a recent round. I think it speaks to sort of a big question mark of where this future is and where it's going and the potential there is. And I think open banking is also particularly exciting. In this particular story is exciting for open banking, which we are huge advocates of, that it, it could potentially only have emerged in an OK, UK environment, you know, in a regulator-driven, like, that's a question I have. Could you have seen something like this emerge elsewhere? Potentially not. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good signal for the rest of the markets that are considering, especially in Latin America, where we had sort of the beginnings of the open banking revolution that yep. this could these kinds of businesses could emerge. Okay, well, maybe we can just have one quick, one more quick one before we go. Just uh, something that we published um, on our own uh, Lena Fintech news site. We talked, there was a couple of two new funds, two new Fintech funds, the Gilgamesh Ventures by our good friend Miguel Amaza, um, who uh, has been, was host of the Wharton Fintech podcast and the Fintech Fund. Um, Nick Milanovic uh, from This Week in Fintech. Uh, it's interesting that Bo was actually an investor with um, Miguel's fund and uh, the Gilgamesh Ventures, and I'm an investor in the Fintech fund. Uh, they uh, flourishes too in Nick's fund. Oh, you so, are? Okay. Yes, we are. Okay. Right. Know, and yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, this is not new, right? I think the story made it seem like it's something because you have, what is it, Harry Stebbings, right? The, the Henry, uh, the 20 VC folk starting a fund, you have a quiet podcast out of Seattle starting for this approach of sort of being connected. I don't know if Lendit, does Lendit have a fund that you know, <laughs> we've, talk, we've talked about it. We've, know, never, you know. we've never really done the, done the work to get it <laughs> yeah, done. Exactly. The connectors, the build, yep. bridge builders, the yeah. folks that are kind of actually have trust from lots of different parties doing this. I think that's exciting. And yeah. I think we back Nick because he's has sort of, connected to this vast pre-seed network, which is great, right. I think, for, for venture funds. And there's this element of, of real care in for the industry. It's beyond just, all right, you know, they can be savvy investors. You know, they're a part of the industry. They've grown inside the industry. They're, you know, there's like a more of a connected tissue um, yeah. with uh, firms like these that makes you think, all right, this is beyond just a, a play of all right where's the best return this is wanting to help the next generation of of fintech entrepreneurs begin to to get on that path to to real success yeah 
Yeah. Anyway, we have gone over time. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much, Kabir. It's always great having you on. Thank you, Thanks, Todd. Kabir. Thank you Thank both. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Peter. Take it easy. Thank Bye. you for the audience uh, for watching or listening. We'll be back same time next week. See ya.